Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth that Jesus Christ is God. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 introduce him. In the beginning, not really a beginning, was the Word. In Greek, that is ho lagos, a reference to the Lord, God the Son. And the Word... The Lord God the Son was with God the Father, and the Word was God. He is deity, co-equal, co-infinite, and co-eternal. The same in essence as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. John 1, 2. He, God the Son, existed in the beginning with God the Father. John 1, 3. All things came into being through him, the Lord God the Son. He is the creator. And apart from him as the creator, nothing came into being that has come into being. That's what makes unbelievers kind of unbelievable to me, is that they reject the one who created them. But that's not unusual because human beings have an almost endless ability to do the stupidest things that would otherwise benefit themselves. John chapter 1 verse 14 describe what makes the Lord Jesus Christ the uniquely born one, it says, And the Word, the Lord God the Son, became flesh, taking on the form of human being as Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. And he lived among us for 33 years. And we, that's a reference to the apostles, beheld his glory. We saw it with our own eyes, the glory of the only begotten one from the source of God the Father, full of grace and full of truth. At Barah Ministries, we worship the Lord Jesus Christ. He is 100% God and 100% man and one person forever, without any diminishment of either of those qualities. And we know that our eternal future is based on a single decision each of us makes concerning whether or not to have a relationship with Him. Why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we introduce people to the Lord. The, the, the Lord made Barah Ministries exist. And we make a difference by teaching the Word of God verse by verse from the Lord's perspective, honoring Him and not from man's perspective. Barah Ministries is provided by God for the benefit of unbelievers to give them the gospel message, the good news concerning Jesus Christ's salvation offer. And Barah Ministries is provided by God for the benefit of believers in Christ as well, for Christians who want a deep, intimate, and personal relationship 
with the Lord through the study of his word. Now, why do we study the word of God? The apostle Peter tells us why. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. He says, Beloved, that's a reference to the divinely loved ones, believers in Christ. Be on your guard. Peter is saying here, don't say I didn't warn you, so that all of you Christians are not led astray by the error of unprincipled men, a, relation, a re- reference to false teachers, so as to fall from your steadfastness, the secure position that we have as victors through Christ. We study the Bible so that we are not tricked by false teachers. 2 Peter 3.18, instead keep on growing in the geodesic dome of grace, in the sphere of grace, and in the knowledge of the one who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen? Amen. We study the Bible to get to know our Lord. God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. And in John chapter 12, verse 31, the Lord says, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. He will be dethroned at a future time. Satan's schemes involve getting us to feel disappointed with ourselves. Instead, we must stand on the victorious ground provided by the Lord Jesus Christ and his cross. Why? 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11 tells us why. So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we believers in Christ are not ignorant of his schemes. That is, if we study the word of God. Our God erects supernatural spiritual defenses for us against the father of lies. So relax in your safe place in his capable arms. Today's Bible lesson, are you living God's plan for your life? Are you living God's plan for your life? That's another one of the dumb things people always say. Well, God has a plan. Well, God has a plan. Well, yeah, he does. Do you have any idea what it is for mankind and what his personal plan is for you? Because it's not like it's not knowable. God's not hiding himself from you. So, what's up? In the Greek language of the New Testament, the imperative is the mood of command. It's God ordering his believers to do certain things that are in their best interests. Unfortunately for us, we can choose to obey or not. God doesn't violate our free will, nor does he violate our freedom, because if he did at least what he would be telling us would be for our own good. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says this, Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Both of those, test yourself and examine yourself, are in the imperative mood. They are the mood of command. You must test yourself. You must examine yourself on a regular basis. For what reason? Or do you not know? Whenever Paul says that, he's saying, are you ignorant? Do you not know? Do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is indwelling you, unless indeed you fail the test? Think about how hard people have to work who are Christians to subvert the power of the indwelling trinity so that they can run their bogus little small box hamster wheel lifestyle 
Think about how hard we have to work, how willful we have to be to not be just, to, to not just have an explosive and amazing life. Just think about how hard we have to work to calm that power down. And that's exactly what we do, unfortunately. We are disapproved when we examine ourselves, when we don't take the test. We are disapproved when we fail the test. What test? The the test of knowing that Christ is indwelling you, that you have access to the same power, divine omnipotence that resurrected the Lord from the dead. Yet do you use it? It is not God's will for his believers to live a mediocre life. Instead, he wills for us to live a life of passion. And in today's lesson, we'll see God's will reflected in the first sections of Paul's letter to the Colossians. And in addition, we'll see God's will for our lives reflected in the Lord's work at the cross as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Well, let's hear some music. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says this, This is the message that we, the apostles, have heard from the Lord and announced to you. And they heard it firsthand. It wasn't through the word. It was through him talking to them. This is the message we have heard from the Lord and announced to you, that God the Father is light, and in him there is absolutely not, never, no darkness at all. The Greek word, ook. Not no way, not no how is there any darkness in the God who is the light. Why does the Lord call us out of darkness into his marvelous light? Chris Tomlin sings that it's because Jesus loves me. And I agree. Shame. 
Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for all that you demand of us. Thank you for exhorting us to live a life beyond our wildest dreams. Thank you for discouraging us from living a life that panders to the world and dumbs us down to the world's mediocrity. Show us how to live a more excellent way the way you planned for us in eternity past. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, are you living God's plan for your life? Are you living God's plan for your life? Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 introduce us to the author of the letter that we're studying, and actually what we're going to look at right here is the first 14 verses. There are two passages in three sections in the first 14 verses, and we're just beginning our study of this. So Colossians 1.1 says this, It's a letter from Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God the Father, and from Timothy, our brother, who was with Paul as co-worker and co-author, a letter to the saints, God's holy people who are believers in Christ, a letter to the faithful brethren in union with Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace to you from God our Father. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 8, the Apostle Paul expresses gratitude for a gift to the world from our Savior. And before I go into this, I need to tell you that those first few ver- two verses introduce us to a gift. The Apostle Paul is a gift to us, and he wrote more than half of the New Testament, and his diligent study is still affecting Christians all over the world today. And that's how powerful you can be when you live your spiritual life. And most Christians are not living their spiritual life. They've given up on it. They've settled for some counterfeit version of it. And that's disgusting to me. You need to know that. Because you deserve better than that. You deserve to bring out the best in you, the uniqueness in you, because the whole world is waiting for your uniqueness to come out. And your uniqueness is not the mediocre life that you've settled for. Your uniqueness is way bigger than that. And it's the engine of that life, that powerful life, is the divine omnipotence of God inside of you, the triune Godhead inside of you. That's an amazing thing. So Paul is a gift to us, and his job is to help us bring that out. My job is to be a spokesman for the Lord Jesus Christ, using what he taught to teach it to you. Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 8, the Apostle Paul expresses gratitude for a gift to the world from our Savior, the gospel message, the good news concerning an offer from the Lord to whosoever chooses to receive it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. We give thanks to God, Paul says, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has a plan for mankind and a personal plan for you and for your life, praying always for all of you Colossian believers. Colossians chapter 1, verse 4. 
since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus from Epaphras, founder of the church at Colossae, and since we heard of the unconditional love which all of you have for all the saints. How would it be if you had unconditional love for all the saints in your periphery? I'll tell you how it would be. You would be getting them to download the Barah Ministries app. You'd be telling them how to use it, and you would be encouraging them to study the Word of God, and you would be bringing people here to learn the Word of God and to sit here and get the accurate truth of the Word of God. And you would ask them to have eight lessons here and not to come in to make some superficial judgment like this is a Facebook page, to give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down and then to leave. That's what you'd be doing if you had unconditional love for all the saints. And if you had unconditional love for all the believer, unbelievers who you wouldn't want to go to the lake of fire because you wouldn't want your worst enemy to go to the lake of fire. You especially wouldn't want any of your family members to go to the lake of fire, but you will resist telling them over and over and over that they have a chance to be saved because you don't want to offend them. Now, when you think about those family members, they've, they've offended you how many times, right? But you don't want to offend them? Okay. And you don't want to offend them about the most important and most offensive thing that there is, which is the gospel message? Come on now. You can do better than that. Colossians 1.4, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus from Epaphras, founder of the church at Colossae, and since we heard of the unconditional love which all of you have for all the saints, Colossians 1.5, because of the hope. Why do you have this? Because of the hope laid up for all of you in heaven. The absolute confidence that what God says about heaven is true. And what does he say for you? That he, will, he has gone there to prepare a mansion for you. And moth and rust won't destroy, destroy it. That it is there and it is not, nobody can take it away. It's there forever waiting for you. And so you have hope, absolute confidence that there are things laid up for you in heaven. Of which hope all of you Colossian believers previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. That's what the gospel is. It's hope. People today don't have hope. This week I got to teach a new group of people in the semiconductor industry. And they were looking at me like I was some kind of a hero or some kind of a god because they haven't gotten anybody to tell them the truth about themselves. They haven't gotten anybody to tell them the truth about how to perform in the job that they have. They just get money and they go home and they get money and they go home and they don't know what they're doing. And all of a sudden, somebody comes along and, and insists that they be excellent at something. And in 12 hours, they become excellent at it. They go from being awful at it, having no strategy, to being fantastic at it by their own will. And they were so excited about it. And that's amazing. It does not take long when you have a strategy to change people. It takes six minutes to show, show somebody the gospel message. Okay, maybe ten, because I'm kind of verbal sometimes. And you can just show them a video, send them a video, and give them a chance to be saved. And you can send it to them every week. You can have a targeted list of people in your family with their emails address, and you can send it to them over and over and over again. And they'll delete it, and they'll delete it, and they'll delete it, and then God the Holy Spirit will bring something into their life which will make them look at it, 
and then they'll look at it again, and they'll look at it again. And once they look at it, God the Holy Spirit will do his job. He will do his supernatural job, and he will land that on their soul like a ton of bricks. But, you know, we're not cooperating with them. We need to cooperate with them because there's hope laid up in this gospel message, Colossians 1.6. We give thanks and pray for you because of the gospel which has come to you, Colossian believers, just as it is coming in all the world also, all over Asia at the time, being, being delivered by foot, not by internet. The gospel message that keeps on bearing fruit and keeps on increasing. I got a, an email this morning that I was checking out on the way in from a pastor, allegedly, in India who has no money, no clothes, no shoes, so a naked pastor who is running an orphanage of 25 people. Now, if you ain't got any clothes or any shoes or any food, how are you running an orphanage of 25 people? It doesn't make sense to me. But the thing is, how did he know about Pastor Rory Clark? How did he know enough to introduce himself to me that way? And how did he know that he would get my attention with the first line, which was, Blessings to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Internet. The Internet is getting to people all over the world. And you can use it as a tool for yourself as a believer in Christ to get the gospel message out. But you're probably too busy, you know, because doing your hair, you know, that takes two hours. You know, while you're doing your hair, you couldn't, you couldn't stop and send a gospel message because that would take all of 10 minutes. And we wouldn't want to cut your two hours of hair doing down so that you'd have to send a gospel message to somebody. We wouldn't want to do that, amen? Yeah, no, we don't want to disturb your amazing lifestyle. And I got to tell you something. The result of the gospel message would be much better than some of your hairdos, Amen? That's a bald guy teasing you guys with hair. Don't you get that? You didn't get that at all? You're getting all offended? I'm offended. I'm offended. Thank you. Thank you. I was talking to the guys, too. Because, guys, the only reason that you, you knew it was women, because it was two hours, the guys are spending three. Slicking their hair up with all that slickum and all that stuff that makes your hair feel like concrete. So we give thanks and pray for you. Because of the gospel which has come to you, just as it is coming in all the world also, the gospel message that keeps on bearing fruit, continuous action, and keeps on increasing. How? Because God the Holy Spirit is on his job with or without you. Even as the gospel message has been doing in all of you since the day all of you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. That's what the gospel message is. It's the grace of God to give you something you don't deserve and by providing you with truth, Colossians 1.7. Just as all of you learn the gospel message from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, doulos is the word, 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week slave to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, Colossians 1.8, and Epaphras, 
also informed us of your unconditional love in Numadi, in the Spirit. You're not only in Christo Iesu, you're not only in Pater, you're in Numadi. You're in union with Christ, you're in union with God the Father, and you're in union with God the Holy Spirit. Then the third section of this passage in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14, the Apostle Paul encourages the Colossian believers and us to live with passion. Here's what he says. For this reason also, since the day we heard the report of your faith from Epaphras, we have not stopped praying for all of you. Paul, invoking supernatural power into their natural circumstances because he's going to lay it on their hearts in the second chapter of Colossians that they're being deceived by false teachers and their false philosophies, their world philosophy, their asceticism, their legalism, their mysticism, all the isms that are being sold as an alternative to Christianity. There are no acceptable alternatives to Christianity. Christianity is it, and anything else is not. And that's that. Lay that one on your family members one day. Ephesians 1.9 continued, and we have not stopped asking in prayer that all of you may be filled with the knowledge of God the Father's will in all spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. That is the greatest prayer and the greatest wish that we could have for anyone, that your hearts would be enlightened, that your spiritual eyes would be opened even when your physical eyes aren't open because you weren't smart enough to get enough sleep last night and to take care of yourself when you know you need eight hours sleep. Amen? That's what happens. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. So that all of you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, to keep on bearing fruit in every good work, and to keep on increasing in the knowledge of God the Father. Colossians 1:11. Strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified us believers in Christ to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. What is the inheritance of the saints in light? That, G, that God the Father sees you exactly the same way as he sees Jesus Christ. Holy, blameless, perfect, righteous, completely undefiled. And that everything that Christ has, you have. That's an inheritance that can't be beaten. Colossians 1.13 For God the Father rescued us, believers in Christ, from the domain of darkness. We were born physically alive and spiritually dead. And he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, the Lord, Jesus, the Christ. What does that mean? In, for all believers in Christ, there is a new creation. The old self passed away. It died. Behold, the new creation things have come. Amen? Amen. Colossians 1.14, the Christ, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, in whom we have redemption 
the forgiveness of sins. And I look back on the Lord's Supper celebrations for the year, and I taught you redemption twice. Must be important. So when you learn God the Father's will, it is obvious that he has high hopes for your life. He wants for you a life of spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding, a supernatural life, not a common life. And so as we study this section, you're invited to examine yourselves, to test yourselves, to see if you are in the faith or if you are alternatively in the world settling for a completely counterfeit lifestyle. So there are the three sections of two passages. You're introduced to Paul, who's a gift to you. You're introduced to the gospel message, which is a gift to all mankind. And you're introduced to what God wants for you, which is spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's what you see in the first 14 verses. And we haven't studied it yet, because there's a lot more depth there that we're going to pull out of that area. But we're nine lessons in. We're digging up the surface. I'm getting my sea legs under me to see what it is that Colossians is here to teach us. And we have a lot to learn and a long way to go as we keep doing this. And if this feels a little repetitious to you, and you don't like the repetition, you just come and see me right after this, and I'll give you the test. And if you pass the test, I'll just assume that everybody here is as smart as you, and then we'll just move through this baby at breakneck speed and get on to the next letter. Amen? But if you flunk, you will do 50 push-ups right here, whether you are a person who likes falling down a lot or not. Amen? Amen. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll enjoy the Lord's Supper celebration. At the cross, the Lord taught us to be passionate. At the cross, the Lord taught us to be passionate. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quite, will all the never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody trying to tell stage fright and David brought a rock to a sword fight you picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen and you changed the world well the moral of the story is everybody's got a purpose so when I hear that devil start talking to me saying who do you think you are I say I'm, I'm just a nobody
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, are you living God's plan for your life? Are you living God's plan for your life? Part of that plan is to have a teacher who is amazing teaching you the Word of God. Part of that plan is that you know the gospel message and that you share it all over the world. And another part of that plan is you study the Word of God and get spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. Well, now we're at the offering. When you're giving, what's important to God is your attitude. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says this, Each one must do just as he has purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
Welcome, oops. My fingers were a little frisky. When we give, God wants us to give voluntarily, thoughtfully, cheerfully, prayerfully, generously, and enthusiastically. So I urge you believers in Christ to check your attitude as you give. Make sure your attitude is an exact reflection of the voluntary, thoughtful, cheerful, prayerful, generous, and enthusiastic sacrifice that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, made on your behalf at the cross to provide for you a so great salvation. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barat Ministries. Amen. Barat Ministries is a worldwide Christian church, and this is a place where real people who want to listen to a real pastor, a real man, teach the real truth in the Word of God. And lately I've just been thinking about, you know, there's so much negativity in the world. Everybody's down. Everybody's fighting. There's relationships are in struggle. Jobs are in struggle. Inflation is up. We've got China on the march causing communism around the world. People just letting it go. We're just, we're just slowly being boiled degree by degree, mandate by mandate every day. And there's just so much negativity in the world. And it's like, where do you stand as a Christian? We stand with hope, right? We stand with the gospel. We stand with Christ. We stand with victory. We stand on victorious ground. But we always forget about that. I was talking with a friend, and he's saying, he's like, he was mirroring a lot of the thoughts I was having. He said, everything's just messed up right now. My wife is fighting my daughter. She's a teenager, and they're just butting heads. They're just both very stubborn, and they're fighting. And he said, now my son, he's old enough to stay in the bathroom too long. We all know what that's about. And that's a whole other trauma for a mom and a father. You know, and he's talking about he's got people to hire. He can't hire anybody because there's, there's nobody to hire. There's no technicians. There's nobody that wants to work. Everybody's just quitting, you know, they even just. And then, then if they do want to get hired, they want $20 an hour to start. You know, and it's just way too much. And that's what's what most of us are making anyway. So at, gospel, at, at Brown Ministries, we need to be a beacon of hope. We need to be hope in people's lives. We need to be that lighthouse that shows them the rocks, that shows them the rough waters, but then really shows them the way out, shows them where to go. You know, and Christianity and the gospel is a lifeline to people. Imagine falling overboard on a boat and the boat's going away from you and then seeing a a, a, a lifeline come to you, you know, with a flotation device and pull you back in. It's got to feel amazing. You know, and it's really the gospel and Christianity is a life jacket for life. When you tell somebody about the gospel, you're giving them the chance to float in those crazy waters. You're giving them the chance just without their own effort to just float and to s- survive. And really that's what Bra Ministries is. We're, we're giving people life jackets. You know, imagine going on a deep sea fishing trip with many, many friends, and you're out there far out in the cold water, probably shark-infested water, and you've got a whole boat full of life jackets, but they're all in storage. Nobody's wearing a life jacket. Nobody's saved. Boat has a catastrophic accident, fire, goes overboard, the boat sinks. Now everybody's in the water. You had all those life jackets, but now nobody has a life jacket because life comes at you fast. Wouldn't you rather have told everybody about the life jackets and given them the life jackets before the problem? 
especially if it's shark-infested waters, because now you want more people in there so they don't come after you, right? (laughs) But the point of the story is we are the hope. We are the life jacket, and a lot of times we hide it. We keep it in storage. We don't show people. And we know from the Bible that Christ in us and the gospel is not a mystery anymore. It's not supposed to be a mystery. We can see in Colossians chapter 1, verse 26, I, Paul, am made a minister by God to preach about the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, a mystery that has now been manifested, made clearly visible to God, to, to God the Father's saints, us believers in Christ. So if God made it visible to us, shouldn't we make it visible to others? Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. To whom God the Father willed to make known what are the glorious riches, this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ indwelling you, the hope, the absolute confidence of your future glory. Christ indwelling us is our assurance that we will be included in the glory. So let's not think about the hard times and the bad times because really a tree that grows in the middle of a field with that has all the sunlight in the world and no wind, that's going to be a weak sapling. You know, a tree needs to fight for light. A tree needs to have wind. A tree needs to have storms, just like us. You know, we need to be battle-hardened in order to go through things. Some of us have lost things so that the world can't take anything from us anymore. So what are you scared of? You know? So anyway, let's just remember to give our life jackets to everybody else. Let's give people the gospel. Let's not be scared in this time of fear and worry why are we worried about other people's opinions let's tell them because we know what we're saying is legit we know it matters and we know it's the truth so thank you all for your consistent giving and thank you pastor rory have you been praying and you still have no answer have you been pouring out your heart for so many years? Have you been hoping that things would have changed by now? Have you cried all the faith you have through so many Just say
the Lord's Supper celebration at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ taught us to be passionate. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ taught us to be passionate. Deacon Denny, your message was a fastball right down the middle. I've been to three football games this year so far, and I haven't enjoyed a one of them. And I'll tell you why. Because I am a great listener. And you can't do that today. You can't listen to people because people are so desperate to talk. They are so socially desperate that here's what the typical conversation sounds like. Them talking. Blah, 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 blah. And then they'll stop and then I'll say, Yeah, that's interesting. I had an experience. And my introvert goes berserk and he turns into psycho. And all I hear is that noise in my head. And then I just want to stab him. I imagine him in a shower and I just want to stab him. It's unbelievable. And they are, people are desperate. This lady was in front of me in line yesterday. And there's the line all the way out around the, around the corner. And she's standing there socializing with the bartender and telling him a story. And I finally had to say, hey, lady, do you mind if the rest of us get something to drink? Oh, so, oh I'm so sorry. I, I've been... It, because of COVID, I, bet, I don't want to hear the story. Okay? I, I, don't, I heard like the first hour and a half of your story already. The game's about to start. I don't want to miss the part where you know, Sparky steps on the bus of the other team. I don't want to miss that. Could you get out of the way? Haven't enjoyed a one of them. Somebody in your ear, blah, 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 blah. Desperate. Socially desperate. Social distancing equals social desperation. That's what's happening. It's unbelievable. However, I listened. God wants us to be passionate. And at the cross, he taught us to be passionate. Welcome to the Lord's Supper celebration the most intimate expression of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ and the Christian way of living. The Lord demonstrates his desire for a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with his believers by creating a way to keep on sharing his body and his blood with us, just as he did with his apostles on the night before his death. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 16 say this, When the hour had come, And his crucifixion was near. The Lord Jesus Christ reclined at the Passover table. And the apostles reclined with him. And the Lord said to the apostles, I have earnestly earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. Luke 22.16 For I, the Lord Jesus Christ, say to you, that I shall never again eat this Passover meal until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God the Father. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, the Apostle Paul says, On behalf of the, of the Lord, as often as you eat this bread representing his body, and as often as you drink this cup representing his blood, as part of the Lord's Supper celebration, you proclaim as a reality 
and you announce the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead until he comes again at the second coming. During the Lord's Supper celebration, Jesus wants his believers to look back to the cross for a moment. He wants us to remember how he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. He wants us to remember the sacrifice of shedding his blood for our sins. He wants us to remember the deliverance to the resurrection life that he orchestrated, bringing us into his kingdom of light. And most of all, the Lord wants his believers to look forward with anticipation that he is coming again. As believers in Christ, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we ask ourselves in reflection, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do for us at the cross? That is a question that we will never tap out. We will never run out of answers to that question. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ taught us to be passionate. Mel Gibson made a movie released in 2004 called The Passion of the Christ. If you've seen the movie, no matter what you thought of it, you have to love the title. There is no better way to describe the Lord's motivation at the cross than with such a wonderful word, passion. What is the Lord passionate about? You. He's passionate about you. You personally. By name. You personally, by name, have always been in his mind, and there never will be a time when he doesn't know you by name in his mind. Are you passionate about him? Or is he just an afterthought to you? If, as believers in Christ, we choose to live a life of passion and obedience to him, one day we may hear from the Lord's lips the words he spoke in a parable In Matthew chapter 25, verse 23, it says, Well done, good and faithful servant. That's the Greek word doulos, describing a slave in 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week service to the Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Now, enter into the joy of your master. What are you passionate about? Some are paralyzed by this question. It's similar to the phenomenon that happens when some are asked about their spiritual gift. Do you know your spiritual gift? Are you using it as an outlet for your passion? It's just my opinion, but I doubt seriously you'll hear the words in Matthew chapter 25, verse 23, if you don't bother to discover your spiritual gift and to live in it passionately. And that's really, let's face it, that's what most of us settle for because we're settling for a lifestyle of the world. We don't want to be challenged. We don't want to think. That was one of the things that I heard consistently in a 12-hour workshop that I did this week in San Diego. I haven't thought this much in so long. Yeah, that's right. No, you don't have to think when you're reacting when you're a dog on a choke chain and you just get up and let life yank you here and yank you there and yank you here and yank you there and you get to the end of every day and all you are is tired and you didn't really accomplish anything and certainly didn't choose anything that you wanted to accomplish. Yeah, but a guy like me, if I stand up here and tell you that, I'm the jerk, right? Who's telling you this stuff? 
Nobody's telling anybody this stuff. We're all just doing it. But we, we see what's going on around us. We have spiritual eyes. We see how desperate people are. We see how people are rolling. People are out of control. Deacon Denny described it beautifully. Look, I, I, I was looking at videos from Hurricane Olaf down in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. When a hurricane comes in, it looks so amazingly ominous. The sky isn't just gray, but the clouds come down closer to the earth and are just hanging there. So there's this big mass of clouds hanging there. And when it first comes in, you look at it and you just get scared. You immediately get frightened. Then you start seeing the surf and it's shh, shh. And then the next thing you know, it's 35 foot waves and they're rushing into the shore. And then stuff that shouldn't be flooded starts getting flooded and pools that were blue turn brown because all this matter is being thrown into the pool. And you see that and you go, wow, that's really funny. And then all of a sudden palm trees are just, they're, 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 their leaves are moving in one direction. They usually are straight up and they're moving in one direction, the direction of the wind. And all of that is no big deal. The rain is going sideways. And all of that is no big deal. But then here's the, th- the next thing you see. You see a funnel cloud come down out of that ominous mass of clouds, a big funnel, come down and pick water up and then start distributing that. And that freaks you out. That's the way our life is, right? The perfect description of our life. Everything's being tossed here and there and fro. Frightening. Except if you're a believer in Christ. Except if you're on that lifeboat. Except if you got that life jacket. Then you can sit right in the midst of this, kind of with your arms draped around your knees and just watch and just eat some popcorn, right? Because you know you ain't going anywhere. (coughs) You know exactly what's going to happen. For you, it's all going to work out. You already have the victory. And if you had a house in Cabo, that hurricane would come everywhere but your house. Not going to bother your house. Because God protects you. So, if you aren't paralyzed by the question, if you're willing to seek an answer from the Lord about the question concerning your spiritual gift, your life will demonstrate passion. But does it? See, you have to be honest with yourself. Nobody can tell you this. Does your life make a difference to God, to yourself, and to others? I exhort you to be honest with yourself. Many things don't matter at all in this life. And if you put together a list of the things you're doing and assess, does this matter at all in this life? The list would be about 90% stuff that doesn't matter at all. What you're doing right now, matters 
what you're doing right now is a huge deal. Taking time to reflect on this issue of what you're passionate about, what your spiritual gift is, and then adjusting your life accordingly matters a lot. And you know what will happen when you do that? You have to throw a lot of stuff out, stuff that does not matter. You have to take out the garbage. So can you imagine in eternity past, please listen to me, can you imagine in eternity past what would have happened if the Lord treated his spiritual gift as you do? Can you imagine what would have happened if the Lord was as casual about figuring out his spiritual gift as you are? You would not exist. You would be, the word is hot, 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 away, 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 away. Yeah, that's the way it would be. Zachary, did you see Vita? She looked at, back at you because she's wondering if you're going to play it. Okay, well. <laughs> Yeah, she looked back there. She wanted to hear that. Yeah, that's not a, that's not what she wanted to hear. So when we witness a representation of him hanging from a cross, experiencing the worst death in human history, we know for sure that he was clear and committed to living his passion. And his passion is you. His passion is you. His passion is communicated in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says this, For the joy set before him, the Lord endured the cross, despising the shame of it, and now has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God the Father. While suffering the worst death in human history, the Lord described it as the joy set before him. This is passion personified. First Peter chapter 2 verse 24 says this, and the Lord himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross so that we might die to the sovereignty of sin, die to the control of sin in our lives, and so that we might live to absolute righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. A question I ask of others regularly is this, what difference does it make that you're on the planet? There will be a day, and right soon perhaps, when I will no longer be present in this earthly realm. I look forward to that day. I will be absent from this body and face to face with the Lord. And perhaps there are miles to go before I sleep, perhaps not, but I do not live with the delusion that I will leave a legacy here that I will be remembered for more than five minutes after I'm gone. In fact, I don't want to leave a legacy here, and I don't want to be thought of as a role model. My passion is teaching, and my purpose in life is to make a difference in the lives of the people with whom I come in contact one person at a time, and one conversation at a time. And if you were to follow me around, you'd see me doing that to the best of my ability in every interaction. 
What would we see if we followed you around? Would it be apparent what you are passionate about? And the answer is yes. Because what you're passionate about is reflected by how you spend your time. During this two hours, it's obvious that you're passionate about Christ. When we fix our eyes on Jesus' life, we know what he was passionate about. He was passionate about saving you. His life, his actions, every one reflected his passion. There is no doubt. Is it your passion simply to have a good job, a good spouse, a couple of good kids, to raise a family, to have a nice car, to take a few vacations, to have a few good friends, enough money, an easy retirement, a quick death and no chance at hell? Is this life good enough for you? Would God think that your approach to life is the purpose for which he created you? Because I guarantee you, all that stuff that you just heard, that's not why he created you. You certainly do some of that stuff, but that's not why he put you here. Because everybody's doing that. Unbelievers do that. What are the critical few things that you're passionate about? The Lord was passionate about one thing, you. He allows us the latitude to be passionate about a few things. Count me as passionate about three things. First, the Christ. I am passionate about him as a person. At eight years old, when I was asked the question of Matthew chapter 22, verse 42, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? My answer contained no waiver. I joined Peter in clarity about this matter. Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 20 say this, And it happened that while Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, Who do the people say that I am? By the way, an omniscient Lord who knows all the knowable knew the answer to the question that he asked before he asked it. Luke 9, 19, the disciples answered and said, Some say you are John the Baptist. Others say that you are Elijah. And others still say that you are one of the prophets of old who has risen from the dead. Okay, here's the payoff. Luke chapter 9, verse 20. This is what Jesus was getting at. Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Messiah, sent from God the Father. Ding, 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 ding. Peter's right on. Jesus Christ is the Jewish Messiah, and he is deity. The same in essence as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And your attitude toward him determines your eternal future. Second, count me as passionate about the cross, our Lord's selfless work on our behalf. His work is a demonstration of love, according to John chapter 15, verse 13, which says this, greater love has no one than this. Greater unconditional love has no one than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. His work was a demonstration of forgiveness. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, as he hung from the cross, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. 
The Lord doesn't deal with us according to our sins. Psalm 103 verse 12 says this, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. Yet you on a regular basis are thinking over and over again about your mistakes. He isn't. The Lord's work was a reflection of his grace. Romans chapter 5 verse 20 says this, The law came in alongside of sin so that the transgression, the law breaking, would abound. Whenever you make rules, the breaking of the rules abounds. But where sin, law breaking, abounded, God's grace abounded all the more, overflowing all the more. So what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that Grace may increase, may it never be. No. James chapter 4 verse 6 says, The Lord gives a greater grace. Mean. What does it mean the Lord gives a greater grace? After you sinned and were sentenced to the lake of fire, what did God do? He loved you more. That's what that means. Is that what you do with people? When they betray you, do you love them more? (laughs) Hardly. The more we make mistakes, the more his grace abounds, the more his grace fills in our deficiencies. Because of his genuine mercy, his great love with which he loved us, his forgiveness, and his grace directed toward us, the Lord chooses not to bring a court case against us. Instead, he did the work personally to pay for our sins so that we could choose to live a resurrection life free from the burden of our sins. Finally, count me passionate about the Word. The Bible is his exact thinking. A friend of mine said to me this week, it's amazing to me how you just pull Bible verses out of the air. You just, in any situation, you can just pull these verses and you know them exactly and where they are in the whole bit. I said, yeah, that's what happens if you do this every day. If you're studying the Word every day, if you're passionate about the Word every day, you, generally speaking, that bad memory that we say we have is somehow enhanced by repetition. Wow. The Bible is the Lord's exact thinking. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 says this, Who has come to know the mind of the Lord? And who will instruct the Lord? Rhetorical questions, and the answer is, and nobody. But we believers in Christ have the mind of Christ. We have the Word of God, the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 say this, All Scripture is God-breathed into the writers of Scripture. They, he exhales the Word, they inhale it, and then they exhale it onto paper. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof. You've been getting a lot of that lately. How you like it? You've been getting a lot of reproof from me lately. How you like it? For correction. Been getting a lot of that lately. How you like it? And for training in righteousness. Because when you get reproof and correction, it flushes out your arrogance. And arrogance 
has a word in front of it. Self. What are the arrogant skills? Self-betrayal, self-justification, self-deception, self-absorption. That's what arrogance is. Self-betrayal. You, there's something you should do. You know you should do it and you choose not to do it. Self-betrayal. You should study the word as a Christian. You know you should study the word as a Christian. And you choose not to do it. Well, I don't go to church. Then self-justification. You tell yourself that it's okay that you betrayed yourself. Then when you tell yourself it's okay that you betrayed yourself long enough, you believe your own lie. Self-deception. And when you deceive yourself long enough, you become self-absorbed. And the only person that matters in life is you. That's not the life God planned for us. All Scripture is God-breathed into the writers of Scripture. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. That's what a pastor is to do. To reprove you when you're off the track, and then to give you the things that will get you back on track. Correction. For training in righteousness, so you can know what it is that you as royalty need to live up to. Why does God give you a pastor to help you with this? So that you might be mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Good works which God prepared beforehand that you would walk in them, according to Ephesians 2.10. It's so nice to have a God who is not confused or confusing. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. God is not a God of confusion. He is a God of peace. In His Word, and through the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit, we have clear direction to live a passionate life. Now let me tell you, when you get reproved, when you get corrected, you need to understand something. Two things are required for growth. Pressure and feedback. Two things are required for growth. Pressure and feedback. What do you like when you're under pressure? What do you like when you're getting feedback? Because I'll tell you what the world is telling you. You don't need any feedback. And anybody who's giving you feedback is trying to offend you. And you don't have to listen to them. Is that how you learn? When you went to kindergarten and the teacher was teaching you math, did you tell her, I'm offended. I don't, you, I don't have to listen to you. I don't want you telling me what to do. All of us came here and we learned stuff because we accepted it from teachers. And then all of a sudden, we become adults and we don't have to do that anymore. Because after we get out of high school, we have it all together. huh? And what we learned by the time we're 17 years old, is good enough to get us to 90. It isn't. And that's why so many of the young couples that I see who are married and going through the rocky roads of the marriage four or five, six years in are completely lost because their Disney bullshit has been exposed. He's not a prince. And they didn't feel the pee when they were laying on the mattress. And he didn't come back with the slipper when you ran away at midnight from the ball. And the pumpkin wasn't a carriage. And the mice weren't horses. It was just a pumpkin and a mouse. (laughs) 
And Aladdin isn't going to show you a whole new world, a new fantastic point of view, no one to tell us no and to say we're only dreaming. It is a small world after all. Yo ho, yo ho, a pirate's life for me. Over the past several messages, you may sense a tone of reproof, both stern disapproval and reprimand. If you sense that, it's accurate. It's God, the Holy Spirit, talking to you. Why? Because God doesn't want you to waste your life. Because God doesn't want you to be intimidated among all this crap that's going on in the world, because he's not surprised by any of it. Not only that, he knows exactly what's coming next, and he already had the solution before we had the problem. And we forgot. He wants your body of work to reflect passion, the passion he placed in you from the moment of your salvation when he made you a new creation. He doesn't want your passion to be quenched by the liar. God's enemy, Satan, the self, your ego, and the world, Satan's system of deception, the ego. I got my pride. Pride cometh before the fall. As Christians, we're to bring every thought into captivity of the Christ. And as we reflect on the Lord's person and his work at the cross, and as we live by the word, We start to let God, the Holy Spirit, create for us an amazing life. That's my wish for you. The Christ, the cross, the word, that's my wish for me. The passion of the Christ, the cross, and the word. Well, let's enjoy the elements. Bread and wine. The Lord gave us these things to remember him. And we will enjoy the elements together in a few moments as we listen to the Lord's Supper song. Obeying God's command, we keep on celebrating Christ and his cross regularly. We eat to remember who he is as a person. And we drink to remember his work on the cross. The voluntary sacrifice he made on our behalf as our sin sacrifice. And we are grateful for what God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have done for us. Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 28. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after the blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is being broken for you. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them. And he said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, a new testament, blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of their sins. As you enjoy the bread and the cup, enjoy the memory of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as well. Now and always, let us keep on giving thanks that we are loved unconditionally accepted fully by a Lord who is always there for us, the one on whom we can depend. And let's keep on being transformed by his life, his death, his resurrection from the dead, and his word, and let's enjoy his unconditional love 
His forgiveness and His grace. So, the Lord's Supper song. Who is it that God says we are? For those of us who are in union with Christ, we are saints, priests, ambassadors, holy, blameless, and beyond reproach, absolutely righteous, justified, atoned for, and expiated, eternally saved, and eternally secure, in union with Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 gives another description of believers in Christ, words spoken by Jesus himself. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. As believers in Christ, we are the salt of the earth, preserving it from the rampant spread of evil. We are light. We are the city on a hill, providing illumination in Satan's kingdom of darkness. And if we believe God's word, we acknowledge the truth in the title of our next song from Hillsong Worship. And we can say to ourselves, I am who you say I am. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Who the sun sets free, who is free. There's a place for 
In the closing moments of our study today, we want you to know that God wants you. And what he wants from you is for you to make the most important decision of your life, the decision for or against the Christ. You are one of God's creatures. And if you choose, you can be a child of God. John chapter 1 verse 12 says this, But as many as received the invitation from Jesus to be saved, to them he gave the right to become children of God the Father, even to those who believe in Jesus' name. Yet one of the things you need to know is that your divine parent doesn't operate the same way a human parent does. As human parents, often we are emotional, arbitrary, and sentimental. We tell our children exactly what, they want, what we want them to do, expecting that they will do it. Often, they do the opposite, and then they ask us for an exception to our requests. I know I didn't do exactly what you asked, they'll say, but please, 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 can I do it my way? Often, our emotional, arbitrary, and sentimental self allows them to disobey. And by doing this, we teach them to ignore our requests in critical matters, and it has dire consequences for them when they are adults. God is not a human parent. God tells us exactly what we have to do to be saved, and those who don't think, and those who don't do it, think that in the end, God will be emotional, arbitrary, and sentimental. Oh, I don't believe God would send anybody to the lake of fire. You're right. You could volunteer to go, but he's not interested in you going. They think God will let them into heaven their own way. They don't even think God's at the... at the one who's in charge of heaven either, by the way. They always talk about Peter being at the pearly gates. Yeah, it's not Peter. The betrayer wouldn't be at the pearly gates. He's in heaven chilling. But God won't be arbitrary in this matter. God has a different plan than emotional, arbitrary, and sentimental. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God, and I am the resurrection life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. God's plan for salvation is a critical matter, and the Lord isn't emotional or arbitrary or sentimental about it. He is crystal clear. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, the Lord says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, what is God the Father's will in the matter of your salvation? First of all, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us what is not God's will. It is not God's will for any of you unbelievers to perish in the lake of fire, but for all of you to come to repentance, which is a change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. God's will is quite simple, and it's revealed in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, which says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. That's what it takes to be saved. It only takes about 30 seconds of your time. You simply turn your salvation over to the God who saves you, described by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Verses 3 and 4, which say this, I, Paul, deliver to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried, 
and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. If you ignore God's critical request, there are consequences. John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. So if you want to get to heaven, it's probably just best to do what God asks you to do. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. When we believe, we simply take God's word for it in the matter of what it takes to be saved and we benefit from it. Do it right now, just once, and you'll be saved for all time. Let's close with music. The word great is not strong enough, nor is it descriptive enough to depict our Lord. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 23, the Lord says this, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. June Murphy praises our Lord in song with her composition, How Great You Are.
Thank you, June. I see you made an edit to that song. I remember the used to have in there, how great you are, Pastor Rory. You teach the word to me, how great you are, Pastor What happened to that? It didn't fit. Well, I can understand that because that was when I was fat, but I'm skinny now. So maybe you could reconsider it. Squeeze that in there somewhere. Great song. I'm not going to tell people what you called me earlier. I'm not going to tell them. No, I'm not going to tell them that. <laughs> I will not tell him that you called me that. <laughs> All right, let's close with a <laughs> let's close with a doxology of praise to our God. Words of worship that acknowledge the magnificence of the one we worship. Romans 15:5 Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another. That is, to think exactly the same way, operating in harmony, according to your union with Christ Jesus. Romans 15, 6, so that with one accord, you believers in Christ may with one voice glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 15, 7, therefore keep on accepting one another and keep on receiving one another just as Christ also keeps on accepting us all in unconditional love to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we just thank you that in the midst of the hurricane, there is an eye, and that you have a wall of fire surrounding us, and you place us right into the middle of the peace of your countenance, and you give us the word to strengthen us, and so we're not worried about the waves that are bouncing off of the boat, we have the confidence that Peter didn't, that we can walk out onto the waves right to you and that we won't sink. And so we're not buying into what the world has to say about what's coming next because whatever's coming next doesn't change the one incontrovertible, irrefutable fact that we have the victory through your Son and that we will always have that victory and we will, ex we will live that victory into all eternity face to face with you. So bless us and keep us, keep our spiritual eyes open. And especially keep our spiritual eyes open for the opportunity to share the gospel message with courage and to invite other people to the lifeboat of your word and your protection. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. How great you are. Our Almighty God. I know you didn't say that. You didn't make that up? Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening.